Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Football might be over for this season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props, to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. Head over to the website or use your mobile devices to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE to get started. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline's your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds. Right to the Olympic coverage. It's the best in the business. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games. BetOnline, where the game starts. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to my podcast. I'm your host, Plina Edmonds. And today on the show, I'm very excited to introduce our special guest. She is the 1998 Olympic champion, Tara Lipinski. Hey, Tara. Hi. Thanks for having me. Of course. I'm super excited to get to talk to you. Uh, You've always been a role model for me, um, being such a young competitor and champion. So fierce. So very excited to talk to you today. This will be fun. (laughs) So you started roller skating actually when you were three, uh, according to my research. Um, and, and then you switched over to figure skating when you were older. So can you kind of tell us about that experience? How did you get into skating? Um, and what made you switch to ice? So I did start roller skating at three and, um, you know, we were living in Jersey at the time and my mom and her best friend who had a daughter the same age as me, um, it was a rainy day and they saw an ad in the paper that said, you know, go to a class at this local roller rink and you will get a free Care Bear. So I think that my mom and her friend thought this would be a really fun adventure in the eighties and we loved Care Bears. So, um, we, we headed out to the roller rink and in the fine print, when they got there, it said something like 15 lessons is actually what you needed to do to Acquire that Care Bear. Um, so there was no way I was not getting the Care Bear. So 15 lessons later, um, I fell in love with roller skating. And it was, you know, it was amazing because it, it, at the time and in that rink, it, at our age, it was just such a social, um, recreational sport slash hobby. Um, so I don't think there were any ideas of, oh, I'm going to compete in roller skating. It really was for this Care Bear. And um, did. I, I made so many friends, obviously, you know, your friends outside of the rink, but even at such a young age, I, I had so many, you know, little roller skating buddies that I looked forward to going to the rink and we'd put on these Christmas shows, um, weekend shows. And at, at around the same time, though, obviously, I, I think it was five or six, I, I entered my first competition and um, I started to get hooked where I was. It, more than just, you know, a fun Saturday at the roller rink with my friends. And um, I competed and I practiced and it very much like ice skating, which is a whole nother story. I always, when I start to talk about roller skating, I'm like, this is a sport that needs to be in the Olympics. I believe it isn't. Um, but then at six years old, we went to the, to the ice rink just for fun to see if I would have, you know, what I like ice skating as well. And 
Um, I did. And I liked it, I think probably a little better. Uh, at the time, I really didn't want to admit that because I competed in both then and skated, roller skated and ice skated for uh, three years. And then it was just financially and just, you know, time-wise way too much for for me and my family. So switched to ice skating full-time. So that's how it started, a Care Bear. <laughs> my mom still has that yellow Care Bear framed um, in our house somewhere. <laughs> that's so amazing. I love that. It's cool that you started on the road and then switched to ice. It's just such a unique way to get into figure skating. I don't hear many skaters do that. Um, so yeah, that's, yeah, that's I, awesome. somehow it, you know, it was a lot easier because the roads are so much heavier and the ice felt that you could get so much more glide. It hurt a lot less to fall. So there was definitely some positive switching, um, fully to ice skating, but I, I really loved both. That's so cool. Well, tell us about your coaching. Uh, I know that you and your mother left your dad in Texas um, to go train in Delaware originally. Um, So can you tell us about your experience with coaching and skating um, and kind of what led you to leave the Delaware coach and go to Michigan? Yeah. So we, you know, I grew up in South Jersey and we would just commute to, to university of Delaware to, to train and um, it worked out for, you know, gosh, when did I, when did I leave Delaware? Well, actually I left when I was nine because my dad, um, got a new job in Houston, Texas, and the whole family had to move. So I guess it worked out three years to be so close to such an incredible training center, um, from where we lived. And then like my most skaters around the country in the world, it, it doesn't always line up like that. So once we, we moved to Texas, we realized very that skating was definitely not as big in, in Houston as it was where I grew up. And I skated at the Galleria at very odd hours at like three in the morning and would, you know, keep those schedules, you know, going along with school. And it was just becoming impossible. I had an amazing coach there who obviously went to the Olympics with me, Megan Faulkner. So I was really lucky to have met and, and, and found uh, Megan, but we all agreed it was just really too difficult to to figure out ice time. Um, and you know, obviously, being a full time student at the time, it was it was almost impossible. So I think the three a.m. at the Galleria got old very quickly, and there was a Christmas tree that they put in, you know, in the rink all of December. So there would be a hole in my program, <laughs> and it was just you know difficult to train at a high level at a mall. Um, so then we went back. My mom, obviously, my dad had to stay in Texas to work and, and to finance figure skating. And we went back to U of D and trained there for a few more years. And then when I was 12, I trained with Jeff D, who, you know, I adore and love. And really looking back, I, I say it all the time to him and to, to everyone else, my technique, my 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 basic jumping, I am, you know, so grateful that I had a coach as, as Jeff to, to oversee that journey for me. And I think that's, um, you know, he was, he was the person that made me fall in love with jumping and, and pushed me to try all the things that I did technically. And, um, so that he was part of my career and then at 12, no 13, sorry, we just needed a change. And I think that, you know, a lot of skaters go through that where it's just, okay, I need to, to, to unfortunately 
from the home that I've known my whole skating life and, and try something new. And we moved to Detroit. We kind of did a, a, a little tour. I, I trained with Kathy Casey for a few days. I went to Connecticut for a few days with Galena. And then we went to Detroit and I really fell in love with Detroit and, and all the people there. And I, you know, fast friends with a lot of the, the girls there. And um, I loved the training facility and we just ultimately decided to stick with Detroit. So then that's where I obviously finished out my amateur career with Richard Callahan and, and Craig Marisi. Awesome. So from that time period, it was just you and your mom, um, kind of going for coaching. And, and since your dad was separated from you guys, what was that like for you as a family? Uh, cause there's so many skaters that do it, but particularly for you at such a young age, um, so committed to skating your family, obviously so committed to allow you to leave. Um, yeah. Talk about that experience. It was really, you know, it was difficult. I think it was, you know, the older I get, the, the more I realized how difficult it was, especially on my mom. Um, and it was to have her, you know, come along with me and to, to be able to oversee and, and, and still have one parent. A lot of times, I mean, I'm sure you, you see it all the time. There's skaters that move away and they're completely alone. So, um, families and, you know, I, I was lucky enough to have my mom there and, and being so young, I, I'm so glad that she was, you know, willing and able to do that to support my skating, but it was really difficult to be away from my dad and especially at, so obviously we'd always talk on the phone and he would come visit when he could, but, you know, with his job and with, you know, the reason we were separated like that was that, you know, skating's so expensive. <laughs> so he, he needed to be and, um, and that was, you know, one of the reasons when I did turn pro, um, it was really, you know, really nice to see my family go, you know, be able to, to be together again and to, to not have to, to live life. That was, you know, it all worked out, but it was definitely difficult for everyone involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could see that. What was your relationship like with your mom? I have a great relationship with my mom. And back then um, I did as well. I, you know, I, I say it all the time. I really could not have done this without her. Um, she was my backbone at times. She was the support system. She was the one to give me all those pep talks. She was the one that really understood everything I was going through at the time and to, to have a sounding board, as you know, from when you're struggling on the ice to to friends, to the rink atmosphere, to whatever it may be. It was just so nice having my mom to, to go on that, that journey with me. So I, you know, I feel very lucky that she was my side through it all. That's amazing. You were the perfect example. My mom always used for me when I was growing up, uh, just because of how focused you were on what you wanted to achieve and you, you did your job, even at such a young age, that didn't matter. Uh, it was all about the work that you put in and how you performed. Um, so that was amazing in terms of emotions and handling the, that at such a young age, I've spoken with a lot of young skaters, particularly at this past, uh, national development camp, um, who discussed that emotions kind of get in the way of training a lot. Um, especially as so many of us are, 
trying to be the best we can be. So many have mm-hmm. perfectionist personalities and all of that mm-hmm. stuff. I myself was definitely an emotional skater. There was a lot of tears on the ice mm-hmm. for me growing up. Um, so what was that like for you? Yeah. I mean, I'm an emotional person. I feel like I've never been away from a tear, but, um, when I was younger too, I, I was emotional. I was emotional on the ice. And, um, I think, you know, it, again, it's, it's personality, as you say, it's, you know, I definitely had a, a that was a perfectionist, um, to a fault probably, but, um, it, it depends on the personality. It depends on your family, you know, and my family, like <laughs> emotions, tears, you know, they're all welcome, but you know, it is hard. It's hard. Um, it, it, it's hard being so young in, in a sport that requires and demands so much from you. The, it, you know, figure skating demands you to be an elite athlete and to think and act and train like an adult. And when you're 12, and 13 years old, that's just, you know, not, not always feasible, but I think that, you know, when I look back, a lot of people will be, will, will say to me, Oh, like you were so young when you won the Olympics, you probably didn't even know what was going on. And I always kind of giggle and laugh. And, and to be, to be honest in my head, I think, Oh, if you only knew it, it I think it was almost harder at, at because yes, I was so young. Yes. I had my life ahead of me, but I also didn't have a lot of life experience yet. I didn't have um, a a perspective of an an adult athlete. I was just a kid. For me, skating at the time sometimes seemed life or death. It it felt that if I, you know, I felt that if I didn't win this competition, my life was over. You know, you you look at kids in high school and, you know, they they break up with a boyfriend and it's like, ah, my life is, I'm never recovering. I'm never finding someone else. And but that's the way your mind, you know, sort of works at that age. And for me with skating, that's how it felt. So the, the lows were always a lot lower for me, the high, probably a lot higher, um, being so young, but I would say that that is, you know, something that was, you know, difficult to handle, you know, being an, a national world and Olympic champion under, you know, I was 15 years old. 13, 14, 15 years old. And you're just not equipped to know how to handle everything. I mean, even adults, even now, as I don't know, I, I sometimes don't know what I'm doing now. So I can't imagine how I figured it out when I was um, so young and in a sport like figure skating, but I will say I loved figure skating so much. And that's always my advice to anyone, you know, to parents, to skaters is make sure you love figure skating, make sure you're loves it because there, there's so many obstacles that you have to overcome. There's going to be so many, you know, times where it feels like the end of the road and how do you bounce back? And, and for me, when I look back, the only way that I did all those days at the rink, you know, all the tears, all the disappointment, it was because I really loved it. And I think what, even when, as I, as I commentate, I, I watch and I, and I think that's sometimes the key to success at that level at the Olympic games, when there's so much pressure on these, these young athletes, it's, it's that drive that love for the ice, no matter what happens, no matter the outcome. Totally. Talk to us about your signature triple loop, triple loop combination. Uh, what was it like having that unique combo in your arsenal at the time, um, against such fierce competitors? 
Um, did you feel like that was something that you needed because you were younger to have like an, a technical that was harder than other most, skaters? Most definitely. I mean, my biggest competition was Michelle Kwan and I, I needed, I needed that extra technical boost to, to be competitive or to win over a skater like Michelle Kwan. And I think, you know, that was just a given for all of us in, in our camp. We just knew we needed the right strategy and to, to find what I was good at to bring to the table and to make myself as competitive as I could be. And I always loved an edge jump and we, I loved combinations. I think roller skating thing and roller skating people did crazy combinations. There would be like nine jump combinations <laughs> that you would do. So I focused a lot on combinations, whether at the time it was like triple sal, half loop, uh, triple toe, half loop, triple sal, or triple loop, triple loop, or triple let's triple loop. And um, I just sort of felt that that was uh, the key to, to my technical success. So I would experiment a lot in in the quote unquote off season and, and try to find what angles, um, technically that I could, that I could, you know, find that edge. You were always the youngest to win everything youngest national champion and world champion at age 14, and then youngest Olympic champion at age 15. What was it like at the time to be so young and on top? Um, I guess from a judge's standpoint or what you felt you were getting scored with? Like, did you ever face any pushback um, from judges for being young? Well, I mean, definitely in the, in the way that I was young, you know, it's just like what we were talking about here. I was, you know, 13, 14 old and just coming up from the junior ranks. And it, it takes time. It takes time to, to build yourself as an artist, to add the maturity that you need to your skating. And, um, it eventually came at, you know, every single year you see improvement in my skating because I got older and I got a little taller, which actually helped me, you know, add more power to my jumps. So it, it just was sort of for me. And I, and I love the way that my team approached it. We tried to rush in any way. We tried to really tap into things that I loved at the moment, whether it was what I was skating to um, the music, the choreography, who we worked with Sandra Bezik, which was like a great match for me and someone they helped develop my skating um, in this gradual way over those few years. And um, I worked with ballet coaches. So we definitely knew, you know, to be that well-rounded skater at such a young age is really difficult because you get older, you know, when I was 18 and 19 on Stars and Ice, all of that comes so easy. All of the emotion and, and the artist in you is just sort of primed um, to come out at that age. But when you're 13, it's a little bit harder. And um, so we just, we definitely were aware of what was needed. And we worked with, like I said, ballet coaches and, and really focused on it. Um, and I knew the importance of it, but I, I'm glad that I always stayed um, true to myself through my skating. Um, and like I said, whether it was the programs we chose or the stories that I was telling myself in those programs or the music that I skated to um, felt relevant to me at that age. Right. It's, it's such a delicate balance with trying to sophisticate your skating against older competition, but also staying true to your age. Like you were saying, maturity and power that, that comes as you grow. Um, but 
beauty can be developed very early. Um, and, and I could see that watching you at 15, you know, you may have been young, but you were so pretty. You were like a little ballerina on the ice. Um, and there's a lot of skaters that are in their twenties that just don't have, um, like a natural elegance to their skating, no matter how old they are. Uh, so I think that's kind of the most significant thing to develop as you're younger. Like you said, ballet classes, finding a choreographer that works for you. Were there any other, uh, I guess, points that you tried to strategize to make yourself as full package as possible at such a young age? Well, you know, I think looking back, I, I always loved to be in control of things of <laughs> what I skated to. And I was pretty stubborn. You know, I wanted, I can't remember, was it I was 13, maybe. So it was my first world. I wanted to skate to speed so badly. I loved it. It made me excited to get on the ice and jump. And um, I don't know if everyone thought that was the best idea. It's not like that's really going to showcase my maturity. But, you know, at that time, I just, I pushed hard for that and, and I got my way. But I think my point here is probably at moment when, you know, at 13, going to my first Worlds, I don't think anyone expected anything from me. I didn't really think anyone was really watching me. Um, and, you know, well, I guess until that short disastrous short program where then I, I realized, okay, the real pressure is like, um, hello, senior, you know, senior ladies. But uh, for me, I think after that, and when I started winning, um, and I started, you know, becoming a favorite, it became more strategic of a, yes, I stayed true to who I was at, at the Olympics. I skated on to Anastasia and the story behind that. And it just resonated with me on a level that brought out emotion, brought out, it was part of the strategy. It brought out what you were, you know, hoping for from that program. But um, there was definitely talks of, okay, like what, how are we going to wear a ponytail? Are we going to put your hair in a bun? Are you, your dress going to look like and how are you going to show up to official practices and there is there's it's part of the game it's part of the package and um it's a start to finish type of thing so I think by the time I was 14 and and into my second year as a senior woman I, I knew that there were going to be things we needed to pay attention to and um I knew the importance of balancing out the score so there are many famous rivalries in skating history and yours was a rivalry with Michelle Kwan. What was it like competing against her at that time? So I think that when you think of rivalries in skating, there, there have been ones that haven't been so good. And I would hope that this rivalry was, was a good one for skating. And it's, it's funny. I actually spoke with Michelle and we were catching up just last week and I, I realized that I cherish my time in skating because it was alongside her and it was part of this rivalry. I don't think I would have been as good if she wasn't there. I don't think I would have pushed myself as hard. I don't think I would have been a triple triple. I, you know, she shaped my, my skating as well and who I was as a skater. I don't think I would have been pushed as hard to try to develop my artistry or try to become a, a, a well-rounded skater if it wasn't for someone who was as amazing as Michelle Kwan. So um, I look back and it, it is, it is crazy. Even now as a commentator, it's, it's rare to see rivalries that last that long. We really just kept trading 
titles back and forth for, you know, three years. And um, for me now, I just, yeah, I'm, I just feel grateful that I was able to skate alongside a skater as incredible as Michelle. Do you feel like that rivalry was uh, more so produced by the media and the headlines um, surrounding figure skating? Or do you, did you feel like it went deeper than that? And it was also kind of a inner U.S. figure skating rivalry. I think it was just the reality of the situation that, you know, it's like that perfect storm. All of a sudden there were two American skaters that were really good and they were trading titles back and forth. So hence, you know, the, the rivalry, like there, there, that's the fact. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think because we were from the same country that adds a layer to it, we were only two years apart that adds a layer to it. Um, the drama of Michelle winning worlds that worlds the next year, you know, there was just so many elements that I think added intrigue for the media to hook onto. And this also was, you know, just four years after, um, Nancy and Tanya and think you know, skating really was at its the, the height of its popularity. So I think it was just natural that the the media kind of knew to grab onto that. But it seems natural that they did. I mean, of course, there were times I just you don't you couldn't read the headlines because one competition is not going to determine the next. But sometimes in media, people think it does. So <laughs> you just you roll with the punches on that. Totally. Did that ever affect you in any way? I've talked to skaters in the past where it, for them, they need to just completely not look at the media. Um, They feel like sometimes the media portrayed things incorrectly. Did that ever affect you? Did you enjoy the hype or would you have rather it not? No, I I definitely, um, it affected me because I was so young. I mean, I remember, I remember there was a headline once that was like the young and the breastless. Literally, that was the And I, I was, I was 14 years old, you know, like again, that even that I, we live in a different time, thank goodness. But yeah, (laughs) um, that those would affect any young person. And Mm -hmm. I think, um, being part of this rivalry, it did obviously probably amplify some of these headlines, you know, because it, it would become of it or pro Terra, pro Michelle, you know, and, and when you were not on the pro end, sometimes it could be really harsh. And at that time it felt, you know, as a 14 year old, some of the attacks, especially if, you know, something that really to anyone would be an attack, but to a 14 year old, sometimes I think it's even harder to understand um, why would someone be saying this about you? And my mom, again, that's where my was was so great and she would come in and 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 either make sure that we really didn't look at those headlines or we we kept that sort of to the side and and put our blinders on a bit and um you know yeah it was definitely hard I think the hardest time was after I lost my my uh title in 98 at nationals because I think there was only a month or so before the Olympics and I think a lot of people counted me out and that got in my head a little bit. And I really had to, that was the hardest point in my career because it, I let it affect me. And I all of a sudden thought that as well, um, you know, that I'm not going to be able to bounce back or, you know, that losing that is going to affect what I did at, at the Olympics. 
I've talked with Brian about this before, as well as um, his coach, Linda, but when they talked about that time period of going into the Olympics, they really just had the horse blinders on, didn't talk to the media um, and tried their best to just stay entirely focused on the task at hand. Um, So did you have any similar experience going in from nationals to the Olympics or were you more open to kind of also talking to the media? To be honest, I don't even remember how much I did or didn't do at that time. I think it was probably pretty focused on, on getting to Japan. Um, I just emotionally was having a really tough time um, bouncing back from that, the, the nationals in Philly just a month before. And um, I, you know, started getting in my head about, cause I missed the flip and all of a sudden it was like, I was having trouble with triple flip and I was just nervous. I think it was, you know, obviously all this is then culminating for a month at the Olympic games. And now we're just a month away from that. And I think the pressure just started to hit me really hard, but I I'm glad that it happened. I, I look back now and I, I really do think I needed that, that Valley before I could start to peak again. And I needed to sort of hit rock bottom and to, to go through those emotions and, and then rise back up. But yeah, I would say that that month was, if anyone saw me skating that month, they'd be like, Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, I struggled a bit. Yeah. That, and that's nerves, you know, as yeah. long as you put it together on competition day, yeah. that's, that's what really matters. Um, well, during that 97, 98 season, even though you were the reigning world champion, you were scored low in the beginning of the season in your kind of Grand Prix mm-hmm. event um, series. Uh, can you speak about that experience and, and kind of what it felt like during the Olympic season and not have scores, uh, I guess, reflect the standards that you were receiving the previous year? Well, I always struggled at the beginning of the Grand Prix um, every year. And then by the time, you know, we hit nationals and the final and, and, and mm-hmm. worlds, um, I, I kind of snapped back, but I think it was me just getting my feet underneath me, making the mistakes early in the season and shaking out those nerves. And I, it, but at the time it was always quite crushing because I, I was upset. I, I didn't win. I didn't skate my best. I didn't, you know, I made m- many mistakes and it definitely, it, it, it definitely played with my mind a little bit. What's funny is just even talking about all these times, it, it reminds me that I was never the most, I was, I'd love to compete. Like I, I feel like I stepped on the ice and I loved that feeling. Um, but I wasn't always the most confident skater. And I think times like that in the beginning of the season, it would show and, you know, I would doubt myself a little bit. So I worked with a sports psychologist and I really worked to hone in on, um, that competitive person at my core to, to be the strongest I could be when, when the time counted and when the lights were shining on you, because that's all that matters. And it took me a while to, there were, you know, definitely it was a, it was a learning curve for me to find that person. So I feel like when I look back to those Grand Prix, those seasons early in the season, um, you know, that was definitely when I was still finding that, that competitor that was going to, you know, be able to deliver under any circumstance. Um, and, and I think what I realized working with my sports psychologist too, is sometimes I just, I was better, the more pressure there was, and this is something I've learned. It was, it was funny when I, um, 
started commentating and it's live TV mm. and there's stress, you know, it's so stressful. And I remember thinking like, why did I choose this job? Like what, why would I go from, you know, competing only person centerized to now, you know, live television. And um, it makes me laugh because it, it brings me back to my sports psychologist be, you know, saying you are the type of person, the more pressure that someone puts on you, the, the better you will be, you'll, you'll deliver under those moments. And I think somehow um, my body just knew that, okay, you know, when I'm at Grand Prix of France, it's important, but it, it's not a, you know, it's not the Olympics. So I kind of learned that about who I was as a competitor, that more, the more that was at stake, the better I would do. <laughs> That's so funny. I feel the same way. Uh, I, I would apply that to school when I was in college and I would, I would realize that under crunch time and that extra stress, I could deliver super well. And I would be able to focus and concentrate in a way that the rest of my peers couldn't. And I, I totally related that back to skating where I felt the same way of training day to day, you know, it, it went how it went, but in terms of competition, I was always able to hone in on the energy and just put it down. So it's fascinating, right? It took me a while to learn that. But then once I learned that I felt, I felt much more at ease because when I would make mistakes or things wouldn't go well, I'd be like, well, I guess I just need a little more pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. That's funny. Since you were second from nationals going into that 98 Olympics, um, you and Michelle were the co-favorites for gold. Did it feel like that though, going into it? Or did you feel like one of you had the upper hand just being national champion? Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, by the time I got to Japan, I, I mean, I knew I could win that Olympic gold medal. I was reigning mm-hmm. world champion. I had just won my second Grand Prix final, obviously a, a bit of a disastrous national championships for me, um, which again, like I said, was, was a bit for me to recover from, but no, by, by the time I got to Japan, I, I knew the job that I needed to get done. And I knew if I got it done that, you know, mm-hmm. I, I could win. Yeah. And you were so strong. All triples. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> it was, it was crazy. It was, um, you know, looking back, it's just one of those surreal moments. And, um, I was so nervous now again, like I said, maybe that was good, but I, my legs were, were literally shaking as mm-hmm. my music started. And I just thought, oh boy, this is, this is going to be a wild ride. And then everything just started to fall into place. And, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy thinking. Back. Yeah. <laughs> you have like the most famous reaction of winning the Olympics, <laughs> but my, fi- my favorite part always was when you actually finished your program, not just in the kissing cry, but man, you just did a free skate. You got to be so tired. And yet you start running <laughs> with so much energy, like a second wind just hit you. I know. I was so pumped. I mean, obviously winning the medals, seeing the scores, that's all great, but the best part, and you know, this as a skater is when you deliver what you want to deliver, or you compete, like you train and to then actually do that at the most important event of your life. It's just this surreal moment mixed with so much relief and um, excitement that, yeah, I just, I lost it. (laughs) (laughs) So cool. How was the experience as a whole uh, at the Olympics for you? Um, You know, aside from winning the gold, was it the magical event that you dreamed of um, at only age 15? And and can you remember all of the details or does it feel kind of like a whirlwind blur now? Yes, I definitely 
have vivid memories of my Olympic experience still, which I'm grateful for. And it's not just the memories on the ice. I really wanted to, again, sometimes I was stubborn and my coach didn't want me staying in the village and they wanted me to focus. And I, I was definitely staying in the village. And, um, I think it was one of the best things I ever did. It it gave me time to decompress after skating. It, It was a distraction and I really was able to take in what it's like to be an athlete at an Olympic games. And, um, those are some of the memories that I'll always cherish walking around the village, meeting other athletes after actually, after I won, I came into the cafeteria and Wayne Gretzky was there with a bunch of other hockey teams and we had ice cream together and all of these incredible moments and memories. Um, a lot of them happened outside of the rink and walking in to the opening ceremony or the closing ceremony. Um, But even the practices, you know, wearing your Team USA jacket as you step on the ice and and skate over Olympic rings for the first time, all of those things are, you know, so magical. And and I'm glad I still have those memories. That's awesome. Yeah, that that was definitely one of my favorite parts of the Olympics as well. Uh, Just being in the village and meeting all the athletes. And I, I felt so lucky to not feel like I was an outsider, even though I was Mm -hmm. technically in the club, I felt like people were very open um, and welcoming towards me, even though I was also only 15. um, Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Like I, I think about that too, Paulino, because I was 15 and a lot of times I think what these adults were so kind (laughs) and so welcoming and, um, yeah, I, I think it's the Olympic spirit. That's what it's about. It is. Why did you decide to retire uh, following the Olympics? Because you were only 15. So you, you technically could have had a very long career competitively. I know you went professional after, mm-hmm. which was amazing. And during the height of skating mm-hmm. shows and stuff like that. But um, yeah, what was the, what was the decision? Well, again, I think it's really hard for people now to understand that decision and skating as it is now, because Mm -hmm. to be honest, if I skated in in, in the last 10, 15 years, I probably would have stayed in. And if I didn't win, I was going to stay in because that was definitely a dream of mine. Um, But I sort of, you know, checked off the nationals box, the world box, the Olympic box, the Grand Prix final box. And and had really great skates to leave on the ice. And I think the biggest thing was it it was the time in skating, you know, Christy Yamaguchi won her medal and and moved on. And you had um, so many, many opportunities um, in skating. And it wasn't obviously in the amateur world, it was in the professional world. So like, as I was growing up, you know, I have a picture of me and my little blossom hat at Stars and Ice getting a picture with Scott Hamilton thinking, oh my goodness, if I win the Olympics someday, maybe I'll go on Stars and Ice. And <laughs> that was part of the dream for me as well. And I think, you know, back then even uh, competing, I competed um, on the professional circuit. There were ice wars and, you know, obviously the World Pro and and they had, you um, just so many events, so many shows and, and so many opportunities that that was part of my childhood dream as well. So it just, it felt right. It felt nice too to get my family back together. It just felt right to, 
to move on to that next phase. I literally couldn't wait. You know, I was ready <laughs> to jump into that and, and join yeah. Stars on Ice and become a performer. And, and those years were really the, I mean, obviously my Olympics is, you know, it's, it's hard to top, but those, those years were the best of, of my career. Yeah. It, I can totally relate to that. Um, just with, I, I always remember growing up in skating. Um, I always dreamed that if I had achieved what I wanted to at a younger age, I'd, I'd be so excited to kind of leap into the next phase of life. And I never like felt like I wanted to draw it out over a super long period of time. Yeah. And I think what's been nice for me is, you know, I was able to move on from that section of my life at 15 and kind of obviously still skated for a long time, but get on track with, you know, the quote unquote normal world of kids going to college and Mm -hmm. and figuring out what they want to do with the second half of their life, which was nice for me once I did stop skating to find that next yeah, you know, part of my career and part of my life at, at an age that I was sort of on par with everyone else. Yes, exactly. That's like one of the most unique parts of, I feel like both of us, Mm -hmm. um, with our skating careers, but did you ever feel any, I guess, sort of struggle finding yourself outside of skating after retiring from, you know, performing professionally and all of that stuff? Cause a lot of skaters that I've talked to have, have talked about the retirement issue of just feeling a little lost and not being able to find their next passion right away. Um, did you experience any of that? So, you know, I'll preface it with, I had a gentle, um, transition because I, I, I didn't abruptly stop competing mm-hmm. and then need to figure out my life. I went, yeah. I went into this, this next phase that, um, it, it was, it was something I wanted to go into. It was an easier transition. And, um, then I did that for, you know, many, many years. So as those years progressed, I was already thinking about that next step. So when that step came, I think that, you know, just again, because at the time skating was so popular and had all these opportunities, it gave me this nice, you know, walking down the stairs into um, the next phase of my life, instead of having to jump off, you know, this, this, this diving board high in the sky and just figure it out. And Mm -hmm. I think that I have a lot of compassion and, and um, I I can't imagine what it's like for some Olympians, some skaters, you know, um, really any, any Olympian, all of these niche sports, how difficult it must be to transition when all you've known is, you know, a training regimen every single day of going to, to the rink and, and competing and training. And then all of a sudden it's abruptly taken away from you. Um, so I, I definitely understand what that's like. And of course there was, you know, a period of time of transitioning, of finding out what was next of stumbling, stumbling and and fumbling along the way of, of figuring life out. Um, you know, like anyone has to, has to do to move on and, and to find what you, are passionate about what gives you that same feeling. I mean, that was what was really hard for me is, you know, trying to replicate that feeling that I had on the ice, that adrenaline rush, that Mm -hmm. excitement, that, um, something that I could train at a little bit. I liked the repetition of doing that. And, um, you know, I, I found myself really struggling and missing that feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when I finally ended up commentating and it's live television, I immediately knew when I put the headphones on, I was like, ah, this is it. This is that feeling I love. And, (laughs) you know, it's not exactly the same. Um, 
it's, you know, it's hard to replicate what it feels like to land a perfect jump. You know, that feeling when you hit the ice, it's the best feeling in the world. And, um, you know, it's not exactly like that, but it's, it's so enjoyable. And it's what I think, you know, is sort of meant for me. Mm -hmm. That's amazing to find again, that niche in a different setting, but, um, similar experience. What did that go into for you? Obviously you're, um, NBC commentator now, but how, how did that get started for you? I know that you've kind of had to work your way up to that role, um, and you, you earned it. So what was that process like for you? It was interesting because when I stopped, um, I really, I thought I was going to go back to touring and I just wanted to take like a year or two off because I had really never experienced life. I didn't have like friends Mm -hmm. outside of skating. I wasn't dating. I just thought, (laughs) okay, this is the time let's take a year or two off and see what you want to do. And I thought I was going back, but, but, you know, I, again, was lucky enough at the time I had had contracts with CBS and I, you know, where they would put me on all their shows and I would do these skating specials and I was doing um, some, some acting gigs through these contracts that I had that made it a very easy transition when I moved to LA to still do something, you know, not just stop skating and, and, and sit at home, but to still, um, you know, quote unquote perform. And Mm -hmm. so I was doing a lot of this acting stuff and I loved it. And I, you know, I took it seriously. Um, I didn't quite envision myself becoming, you know, an actress and that that was going to be my next career move, but I enjoyed it. And it was again, a nice way to transition and to start to find my footing elsewhere. I started hosting some things. I did some voiceovers. So I was always game to try whatever it was and see what I actually liked. And then, Mm -hmm. um, it just inched me closer and closer without me even knowing it to, um, broadcast and commentating. And I remember, you know, watching a, a world championships thinking, oh, wow, like this is something that would be so fun. Um, let me, let me try this. And so, yeah, I worked my way up at universal God, over a decade, 11, 12 years ago at this point, I don't even know, um, at universal sports doing, um, actually ice network. I think I started (laughs) at ice network and then moved on to, um, universal sports and NBC sports, and then just sort of, you know, worked my, my way into, into the seat that I'm in now. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. So cool. <laughs> Tons of people take multivitamins, but it's important to choose one that is top quality. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to start your day right. Reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash believe. That's B-L-E-A-V. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash believe. My last question is just um, kind of on the topic of skating today. You know, there's, there's obviously been such a change in the landscape with so many young skaters now rising to the top. Um, and, and now there's talk of raising the age limit. So my, my final question was just, what are your thoughts on that and whether or not you think that will help the direction of the sport? 
So, you know, when it first, when everything happened um, at this past Olympics, at first I, I wanted to take some time to really see how I felt because my gut reaction was changing the limit doesn't seem like the answer. But mm -hmm. again, what we witnessed was, was so horrifying, to be honest, that you, you couldn't jump to an answer like that. You, you know, whatever it takes to keep these athletes safe is the, the final answer. Mm -hmm. But the more time that I've, I've thought about it, I really don't think that changing the limit, um, is the right decision. If anything, it seems like a band-aid. It seems like a quick fix for not actually addressing the problem because mm -hmm. think about this. Okay. So a 15 year old's not allowed to go to the Olympics and compete. So we'll see the 17 year old, but where do you think that 15 year old is? She's in the same system as, as everyone else, a system that is, is harming them <laughs> and a system yeah. that needs to be fixed, not an age limit that mm -hmm. needs to be fixed. So instead of just seeing them on your TV, they're going to be training at a rink and probably have been since they've been three, four, five, six years old under a system that's broken. Mm -hmm. So to me, I really don't see why you would take these opportunities, take these potential Olympic champion moments away from athletes to not actually fix the problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, just with, like you said, the opportunities to win, um, it, it really doesn't matter what age you are. It just matters that you're in a safe and supported environment to get you there and that you're winning in the right ways. Um, and so 100% and, yeah. and what needs to be looked at. And I think we all, we all saw it and it was, it was devastating Yeah, is that this system, like this is, there is not a safe, secure place for these athletes Mm -hmm. to, to train, to, to live out there. I think about my career. Like I had my parents, I had a support system that let me at 15 years old, live out my dreams and, you know, where they were overseeing it and making sure that I was protected and I was safe. And that as a child, I was, I was still being, you know, I was still a child and I was able yeah. to perform at this level, but I was still a child. And as we've seen, these adults are putting these, these, athletes and positions they should never be in. And it's, and it's horrible. Yeah. yeah it's definitely and then the athletes. Yeah. And the, and the athletes then are the, the ones that have to bear the consequences. They're the ones that have to, to bear the consequences of what these adults around them, the decisions they made, which is just, it's so wrong. So, um, that needs to be fixed. But I, I think, unfortunately, it would be to me quite sad to see them change the age limit because that's just putting a bandaid on the real problem. Yeah, I agree. I think that's, it's not really the, the right solution. Um, but hopefully uh, with time and with enough, I guess, voices and advocating for, for true uh, mending, things will change in the proper way. So we'll see, but it has to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Tara. Uh, you shared a lot of amazing stories and insight. So thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.